Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Sasha Plasvik, to our show today. Sasha is the founder of Ilya Beauty, a natural skin-centric makeup and skincare brand that paved the way for the clean beauty space as we know it today. Throughout her life, Sasha noticed that some of her beauty products would irritate her skin. Her mom, who was also dealing with her own health challenges at the time, prompted Sasha to look into the ingredients behind her favorite makeup, leading Sasha to notice a real gap in the industry for efficacious makeup that supports healthy skin. This motivated Sasha to build a beauty brand from the ground up out of her parents' garage, bootstrapping it herself, and starting with a flagship lip balm that was based around a natural yet effective formula. Ilya has now expanded to many different product lines and has award-winning skincare products, mascara, lipsticks, and more. The company has seen incredible growth over the years, which we'll talk all about today. And last year was sold to Famille C, the private investment fund of the Courtine Clarence family, who are the owners of the cosmetic company that we all have heard of called Clarence. In our episode together, Sasha shares how she went from dreaming of being an architect to diving into graphic design, eventually dropping out of college, moving countries, and finally discovering her true path. Along the way, Sasha reveals the greatest mistake that she had, which was not listening to her voice early on. She candidly shares her aha moment in her 30s, which was the catalyst for her leaving behind her old life, getting out of a long-term relationship, traveling, and really creating the space for freedom that she always wanted. Throughout our conversation, Sasha opens up about her bold choices, whether it was declining incredible job offers or making the very unconventional move to live back home with her parents in her 30s. Sasha shares how she got Ilya off the ground with no background in makeup or manufacturing makeup and the importance of sharing your ideas to bring them to life, especially in the early days. She also talks about how she started the business with very little money, the exact steps she took to take Ilya to the next level and the importance of listening to her gut and not growing too fast. We really have a very vulnerable and candid conversation today and walk through the biggest mistakes and lessons that she's learned along her journey. Sasha, welcome to the podcast. It's such an honor to have you join us today. Before we go into your story, I'd love to maybe talk about the many lives that you've had before Ilya. You were scarf making, you were in web design, you had a sit in beauty, you moved to London for school. You've really done a great job following your intuition and your gut and really going after your dreams and pivoting along the way. If a woman is listening right now and they're thinking, you know what, Sasha, I think it's too late. I can't go after my dreams. What would you tell this person? It's interesting. And I list, I listened to, uh, there was an Oprah podcast I listened to in, re- in relation to time, you know, and, and, and also there's, and health, like the two things that you kind of, health you can control, time you cannot, nobody can control time. 
nobody can buy time back either. So, you know, there's goals of like, when I get to here, I'll, I'll have this. When I get to there, I'll have that. Or if I wait this long, I'll get that. And it's like, actually, you may, you may not. Or when you actually do get there, you may realize that that's really not what was important. So I think for women that have, if you have a voice inside of you that's telling you to do something, act on it, do it plan for it and and go for it because that will never go away you know and i and i think you know and and for all of the women out there that want to start a business um it depends what type of a business you want to do like yes i've had an amazing journey i put on some big blindfolds for the last 15 years to get to where i got to and then it's amazing when i look out around me even at the company and what we've done and but there's a part of me too that has missed out on my life, missed out on my kids. And balance to me doesn't really exist. I think you can find moments of it, but it's very easy when you are building a business to lose your balance or lose yourself. Like people who have children, sometimes they say, oh, I lost myself for a year or two and now I'm kind of coming back to that. Uh, or maybe you're going through a divorce or there's some type of transition, you know, and in the same, I would say, if you're building a business, you will have moments of living, losing yourself because you are giving so much to something. Or if you are having a family, you are giving so much of yourself. And I think one of the scariest things I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing in my mid-40s is like, if you lose yourself too much, it's uh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for your health. Um, it's dangerous for your, your mental well-being. So I think it's really important. If you have a dream and you want to go after it, you go after it, but you make sure you find the right support and the right people to do it with you because it can be a lot. That really resonates with me. And, you know, as someone who's like in the thick of building their business and I get the, I'm very lucky to hear stories like yours. So I know when I'm going hard and it's like, okay, Yasmin, take the time, try to have balance. But my question I always have, and it's something I struggle with a lot is like, do you think you can build something of significance without having those blinders? Because sometimes you need that like, uber focus to get something off the ground to be at that incredible level like in Ilya which you're you know you disrupted an industry but now kind of looking back at your journey do you think it could have been done in another way if you had more awareness around it um maybe i think you have more awareness with age and time and experience I think in if you are at the beginning of a business, again, you can choose your pathway. You can choose if you want to accelerate, um, get funding, have something bigger. It depends what your ultimate dream is, you know, and I think really you have to be careful what you wish for as you know, if you get there, you know, is, is that actually what you wanted? Is that's what, what is right for you? What is right for the people in your life? Um, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I don't know. I think it depends. Being really clear about what you want is important. Like I do certain women today who are either entrepreneurs or going through different things. And usually the first question I ask is, what do you want? Do you want a big business? Do you want a small business? Do you want, you know, because you can run a smaller business and have a few million in revenue and be very comfortable. You know, if you accelerate it to the next level, you can have X, Y, and Z. Do you want to be out there? Do you want to be the face? Because that's going to take time away from the function of your business. You know, what do you want? And I think that's uh, getting clear about that is really important. Uh, and it may change and honoring that is okay too. But asking yourself what you want and trying to get clear on it is really important. I love that. And I love how you said it may change. And, you know, for my own business, we're self-funded. We're still self-funded. And initially, a lot of people like, if you want to raise money, like call me. Like I just had a lot of people kind of, 
pushing me to go down that route. And I'm like, you know what? This is a path for now. This feels right to me. I want to build this with my sister-in-law. I want to make sure product market fit is there. And I know the expectations that comes with raising money. And I feel like we're so early in the business that I'm not even ready, I think, to put the fire on the hose and get to that next level. But I love what you said in terms of it could always change because who knows, maybe a year from now, I'll be kind of in another position. Um, but I think always asking the question of what you want. And I try to do that day to day of like, am I happy? Do I need to change something? Like, where's the joy? Because like you, you know, now that you're looking up, I kind of went through my 20s, not really looking up and just working my ass off and now being like hormones were messed up. Luckily, you know, a company came out of it. But I, you know, I think the biggest gift is if we can all just question, what do you want? Like you said, what joy is coming in your life? And are you happy? Like, I think that's the biggest gift. But one thing I really admire so much about your journey is, you know, now looking back, it seems like you've always really followed your gut and your intuition. And I just love that you've pivoted so many times in your life. But actually, before we get to that point, I actually want to talk about college, right? That time period in your life. You wanted to be an architect and really your conversation with your dad kind of shifted your perspective. But tell me more of that like period in your life and what you were really thinking you were going to pursue early, early in your career. It's funny, like so many were reflections today when I look back. I was really good in graphic design. I was really good in photography in high school. It was very much discouraged in the high school I went to. I grew up, uh, the public schools in, in the area I'm in Canada are really good. They're quite academic, you know, You but you should be doing math. You should be doing science. You should be thinking about professions and you should not be an artist because that's not going to make you any money. And I think you know, my dad, he came from, you know, after the Second World War, he was born in 1930. He went to architecture school in Belgrade. He defected, moved to Canada. I mean, he, he started with nothing here. So and it was it's an industry that was even in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, very challenging. And when I did a I did one of those tests, like where they test you for every type of skill set and hand eye coordination was one that was really strong. Music, I think, was another one. And then arc, but as far as they started, then, then they would put things into professions. My spatial ability with 3D was very strong and architecture was at the top of the list. I remember we were sitting there. And he said, no way. <laughs> he, he, he did. He said, no way. I can't have you go through what I went through because it was, you know, he had offices an office where he had 60 people at one point and then he had no people and it's very up and down. Right. And, and then it kind of got a little even more challenging, I believe, in that industry after the 90s. So I think I listened to him. But really, if I were to go back in time, and when you're that young, how are you going to listen to yourself, right? Like I, maybe I could have been an amazing architect. I actually think people can be amazing many things. It's just what feels right to you and what you want to choose and what you want to go after. And you can try several. And for myself, I did. I tried photography, graphic design. I really liked the graphic element. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I could maybe work at an advertising firm or I can work here and I can make money to be able to support myself. And that was a driver to making those decisions at that time. It's so interesting how you said like the biggest mistake is, you know, when you're younger is listening to other people. And I literally was having this conversation with my husband when I was prepping for your interview. And I was like, gosh, you mentioned that and it definitely resonated. But so much of life, you don't know the mistakes you're taking. But I think the biggest asset, which you just talked about, is like trying different things to figure out who you are. Because when you're younger, you don't really know. But how do we like teach that to the next generation? Like your daughters, right? I know that they're younger now, but I'm curious, like as a mother, you know, you now know this looking back that I wish I kind of listened to my intuition. How do you teach 
that to someone who's younger or like the next generation? Well, I think that the education system has to do a full 360, <laughs> maybe, maybe two or three times because what they're teaching in the schools today. And I'm sure there's schools out there that are adopting this more, but the professions that we were geared towards 20 odd years ago, 25 years ago, they're not the same. I mean, today I went for a mammogram and the lady there was telling me, you know, there's no nurses, there's no doctors because everybody wants to be an influencer. That's what she said to me. <laughs> this older woman. She's like, and I feel like we're losing all these people that would normally go into professions because everybody's out there trying to do their own thing. And she said the world has changed and she's absolutely right. The world has changed. So I think like the schools need to recognize that the opportunities that are out there and how people are looking to make a living is are very different. And they've drastically shifted over the last, even the last 10 years. So, you know, for my daughters personally, you know, how I, to answer that question, like I have to honor who they are and where they're at. I have one kid that is very creative and right out there, a real artist, like a real Waldorf kid, I would say. And the other one is super type A, a little bit OCD. And I do, do believe that they will have different pathways in education. And I would like them to have a good education, but I'd also just like to make sure that they feel supported and encouraged and light and happy in what they're doing and excited to learn, you know, and that is different, you know, depending on the child. Absolutely. Gosh, I totally agree with you on changing the education system. I don't have kids yet, but like those questions are running through my mind. So I'm very much aligned with you on that. So just because you dropped out of college, that didn't mean you weren't into education, you went off and went to different colleges to kind of figure out what your interests were. And I believe at some point, you know, it was 9-11, that time period really left an impression on you. I don't know if you can maybe reflect back on the time and did it kind of change the way you thought about your next steps and your career then? Yeah, I think like initially I went to a very classic college and studied psychology for one year. And I remember my gut feeling was don't, don't stay here. This doesn't feel right. This don't finish this leave. You know, so I listened, which was good. And I left and then I did a multimedia program and then, and that was like a 10 month intensive, which was more graphic and web focused, which was really big back in the early 2000s. And then 9-11 did happen. And I was actually visiting one of my best friends, dads at his office. And he's very English from the North of England. And I was saying, oh, you know, I have this job at this web firm and they're going under because everything in tech. And he's like, why are you working at 22? It's like, why don't you go back to school and do something that you enjoy? You have the rest of your life to work. He's like, stop being, you know, so foolish, go back to school. And he was really firm with me about it. And, and I thought to myself, yeah, he's totally right. Like, I think at the time I was trying to prove I can work, have the salary, you know, take care of myself in the or my early 20s. You could make a good salary in web at that time, even if you were really young. And ultimately, I think just trying to prove that I was an adult, but I was not. I was I was still really a young kid. And that's what kind of, I guess, I accepted, you know, what I have this opportunity at this age to go back to school and do something that I find would really suit what I want to do. Let me let me go explore that. And that's how I ended up in back in graphic design school and typography school. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. 
I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. You mentioned how your dad didn't want you to go down the route of architecture. And I feel like so many of us as immigrant, like coming from immigrant families, it's like, get that job, be financially stable, basically don't live the life that we did. And you're here, you know, you got that quote unquote good job, but you kind of left that to go back to school and move to London. So I'm curious, like, what was your, what were your parents really thinking about you at the time? And were they supportive of you dabbling back maybe into education and trying different things? They were, you know, and I think my dad also, he, he did a design and sold the development. And when I was in that first initial university phase, there was like, and this tuition was like 3,500. He could not help me. There was no help. It was pretty intense, like working a lot of jobs just to pay for, you know, a room with no base or a ba- it was a basement suite with no windows and I had a great time but yeah it was definitely like there's a lot of people that have to do that to put themselves through school and then he did you know make a little extra income and he's like listen I actually can help send you to school and that would be the opportunity would be now so I still had to work but having some support um, meant I could go to a place like London and the tuition there is roughly four times less than it would be you know, for example, at a school in New York, like a Parsons. So I wanted to go to New York. I didn't want to take the loans. And really, it was more of a financial budget concern that drove me to London. I also really love Europe. So it was a win-win overall. And the schools are really creative over there. And it was a great opportunity. I love that. It's so interesting. I, I We just interviewed um, Mimi Icon, and she has a very similar experience to you. She went to college, but had to support herself and realized like very early going to classes, going to a bunch of jobs. She's like, this is not the right fit for me. It's amazing because you guys have both obviously become successful entrepreneurs. And like, it just shows that there's no like right time for anything. And your, you know, your life can just like continue to zigzag and it's totally fine. But I just love the similarities between both of you. Um, And then ultimately ended up going to school in something that you loved and getting that financial support to have maybe more headspace for you to kind of think about the right next step. So you're in London. Obviously, this is like the place you'd be. Your family's supportive. Tell me more about your experience about moving back to the States, because from my understanding, did you get any jobs there or did you immediately come back to North America? No, I worked. So I did an exchange to New York and I was working with a firm, a branding firm in London, and they had offices in New York. Um, And I started making connections there. I had a boyfriend. I was with for most of my 20s, who was in Toronto. Uh, We wanted to go back to New York and I was just graduating. It was a three-year program in the UK. Uh, BA, uh, honors in typography. <laughs> um, so there, you know, it was a, not a BFA, it was a BA. So there was a big writing component for a dissertation and it was, it was great. And so I was finishing that up, wanted to go back to New York and my dad actually got sick for the, like he had always had kind of some heart issues, but he needed to have a triple bypass. So came home to Vancouver and absolutely started to look to be there, you know, for my mom and put everything on hold and I stayed home for several months 
uh, to help. So that was actually like, it was nice. It was a, a moment in time where I came home to reconnect for several months. And with that, the, my, my boyfriend at the time got a job opportunity in um, Newport Beach. So I remember I, I didn't even know where Orange County was. And I didn't even know that much about LA. Like I'd always, I'd spent a lot more time in New York. And I remember I said, I don't know where that is. And that doesn't sound like New York City. <laughs> I don't want to go there. But ended up going and checking it out. We were, we, we were in Laguna. And I don't know, he kind of is like, look how beautiful it is. Like, I think we should give it a try. So that's how I ended up down there in my, I guess I was 26 at the time uh, in Laguna Beach, California. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Orange County is not somewhere like you typically think of like LA, maybe New York. Um, but I love how you landed there. And what's interesting about that point, you actually were working at a small eyewear retailer, right in Orange County. And you actually talk a lot about that time because it seems like the owner really put you under his wing. So I'm curious, like what were some fundamentals that you learned from him? And how did he really kind of push you when it came to like business and you really getting those skills under your belt? Uh, I think he was he was old school. <laughs> In his approach, he was, I think he was probably 70 when I was there. And he was very meticulous as a founder and would see every detail. And we did have to go through a rebrand. The company, um, it was a boutique chain of eyewear, re, uh, retail eyewear, and they were acquired by Oakley. And Oakley had acquired Oliver Peoples at the same time. And we all had to get along in the sandbox together to help promote Oliver Peoples in the stores and vice versa. And, but it was really a sports, you know, conglomerate acquiring luxury. So it was a really interesting time. So to watch all those synergies happening together, to watch a founder have to let go of something that he'd been building for most of his life um, and to kind of go through all that, I don't know, I guess I'm very sensitive to how people feel and was able to find a way to connect with him to ensure that the rebrand worked well and learnt, just learned. I think like, I, I don't know, at that age, I feel like you're a sponge. And if you find the right people that maybe you don't even, like, I don't even know, I didn't really like him in the beginning. I thought, this guy's mean, you know, and he was really scared everybody, but there was something about him that was very endearing. It's like, I think he had a bit of a front. And then when you actually got to know him, he was a beautiful person and very um, inspiring uh, in how he chose to build his life. He had also come from nothing. And I'd seen other founders there. There was an eyewear brand called Blind that was big during like the Matrix years. And the founder there, his brand was acquired by uh, the guy I was working with. And I thought, wow, this country is so cool. You can build brands and they can get acquired. And there's all this opportunity and there's people that dream their dreams and make them happen. And it was really, for me, an exposure to the American dream. I have goosebumps just hearing that. And I think that what I love so much about this experience is you working with another founder and really understanding like the ins and outs of a business and seeing what's possible. Because before you kind of get that exposure, you don't realize like, oh, anyone can kind of build a brand. Like this guy, like you were saying, came from nothing. And seeing him kind of build his brand is very inspiring. And I also had that experience when I was working in tech. I'm like, oh, they don't have everything figured out. Like building a brand and building a business is just pivoting, trying different things. And if you have this like idea that you're passionate about, you can make it work. So seeing how you kind of built that confidence of what is possible and really, it really opened your eyes is amazing. And I love that it wasn't even in beauty. It was an eyewear because people I think are like, gosh, my passion, for example, is in beauty, but I'm working 
in telecommunications or eyewear, but it's like, there's so many things that you can take from your experiences that still will relate. So I just love that story with you. So I'm fast forwarding a little bit. You hit your thirties. I'm chuckling because I feel like I had a very similar transition time in my life, but you hit an aha moment. You ended your relationship, you know, your serious relationship, this guy that you moved to Orange County with in California, and you ended up just like leaving town and doing a six month journey in South America and Asia, which I'm very inspired by. But tell me more, like what was percolating in your head where you're like, you know what? I need to just shift things and like go off on my own. What was going on in your mind? I think that getting married at a young age for me was not the right fit. My husband got married young. He's younger than me. And I remember I thought, oh, God, I hope this works out because but it's it just depends on the person. Right. And we were moving in that direction and everything felt too stable. And, and I think I did come from a bit of a chaotic upbringing. And for whatever reason, I was yearning to be free, to explore, to, for freedom. I think it was some sense of freedom. Like it's like I went to school a couple times, got degrees, worked, went back to school, worked again, and had everything totally set up to like, everyone's like, you have it all set up. Why do you want to blow this up? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I need I don't know, I need some freedom. So I made the decision to break up with the guy, go traveling, and just explore. And I do think, you know, there's people talk about Saturn return. I don't know if I believe in that or not, but it definitely was around the age of 28. And there was just this desire to go explore the world. And that's part of my personality of people that know me pretty well. If I feel like I'm too caged or too trapped, I generally want to bust out. So tested out hard and went and like really had a great time around the world, did some crazy things that I think, oh my God, if my girls are going to do that in like 10 years from now, I might have a heart attack. Like I put myself in positions where, I mean, the world was a little different, but I think, oh my God, I would hitchhike and, and you know, like, you know, with like on the back of a bike in the middle of the night. And I just think, wow, it was, it was definitely living and it was a feeling of, uh, a very exploratory time where I felt very free and alive. So amazing. It's funny that feeling of like stableness and being in a cage. I definitely feel that. And I feel like we both love to travel. That's kind of like my escape. I'm like, all right, time to like mix it up and see new things. But I'm definitely not as free. I wish I was as someone who would just like leave by themselves, go to another country and hitchhike. That's like a whole nother level for me. But <laughs> I don't recommend that. I'm not yet. Don't try that at home. Or away from home. <laughs> totally. And I'm just so curious, like what I admire about like your personality, at least when you were younger, is you weren't really worried about your career and like what was yet to come. Like, were you, were you just thinking about the present of my biggest value is to be free and I'm just going to go for it? Like, did you think about what you were going to do when you were back or you were just truly living in the moment? I think that I hadn't found what I wanted to do. So I would do something for a period of time. And then I felt like I needed to move on from it. Especially like in branding specifically, it's like you come in, there's so many years of a rebrand that happens and then you set things almost in place. And there's not as, I don't know, it's like, it's done. So to me, it's it was the right time to move on. But I also, I think I was fairly serious uh, in the first, you know, half of my 20s, if not most of my way through it. And yeah, I just like, I felt like being rebellious. Yeah, that's nice. 
I think all entrepreneurs kind of have a little bit of that, like wanting to be rebellious and like being okay in chaos. You know, I, I, I forgot what podcast I was listening to. Don't quote me, but basically this person was saying that a lot of the successful entrepreneurs like are comfortable with chaos because of their upbringing, you know, whatever way you want to define chaos. But it's just, it's just interesting. It came to mind when you were saying that about yourself, but I love it. So, you know, you go on this incredible trip and you come back. And actually one thing I want to underscore, especially like in your twenties and thirties or really at any point in your life, you taking a break, you can always get that job, right? So I love that you like took a risk because you always can come back and you ended up doing that and getting a job. And I think the same mentality is helpful when you also want to start a business because sometimes we think like, oh gosh, like what happens if we're going to fail? What happens if it doesn't work? It's like, you can go and get a job. Like there's just so much opportunity in this world. And I think sometimes we overthink it. So I love just how free spirited you were and you ended up, you know, coming back home, I believe, and getting a job with Urban Decay, which was kind of like your first foray into beauty. So tell me more about that experience and how it really kind of shaped maybe um, your mind again of what was possible and your own interest there. Yeah. So I'd, I'd come back from my uh, I don't know what it was, like early life <laughs> crisis traveling around the world. And I came back to a recession. I actually was away when everything crashed. So I think I came back in October. I think it started happening in the summer of 2008, came back and it was a totally different world and wasn't ready to take anything full time, was just going to look to freelance. And randomly, that was a job that came up and it was close by. And it was fun because it's color. There's a 3D element with packaging. Um, I'd already experienced some of that in the eyewear industry, but it was beauty to me. I absolutely loved beauty. I wasn't an insane beauty junkie. I was somebody who had actually struggled with a lot of acne. So I was always looking for products that were going to hopefully help my skin and not make it worse, ultimately. you know. And also that didn't look too cakey if it was makeup or make it too dry and I was always kind of struggling, but Urban Decay, I came in as a freelancer. It was super fun. They were growing like crazy during the recession. There was, a, you know, I thought, wow, this is amazing. It's, I think, what is it? The lipstick effect, you know, that they kind of talk about. It's like alcohol and beauty are two things that tend to go up during a recession or a pandemic. So, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, that was definitely for us during the pandemic as well. But I think um, just really opened my eyes to a whole new industry. And I didn't know at the time that, hey, I'm working at a beauty brand. I'd like to start a beauty brand. I was more really kind of fascinated by the business and how everything worked. You know, Sephora was a big customer. Ulta was a big customer. Looking at it holistically. And they did end up offering me a full-time position that because it was the recession, their CEO, he was very, I, don't, I guess, uh, very aware of his budgets. And I, I turned it down because the pay was too low. And I think for whatever reason, I felt like I'd reached an ending point there in Orange County at that time and that I wanted to go home. So again, I kind of had that moment where I'm like, okay, this chapter feels finished or I don't quite know what I want to do, but I think I just need to go home. And how lucky am I? My parents are still together and I can go home. With, a, with my tail between my legs at the age of 30, but I can go home. I'm going to go home. Yeah. I mean, it's such a bold move. You know, you're in your 30s, you moved back home, lived with your parents. Like a lot of people wouldn't do that. And I think sometimes these, I don't know if you would call it like sacrifices, I guess at the time it felt right to you, can be such a wonderful launch pad for you to like really reflect on what's possible and your next step. So really taking that time to go back home. 
And what's so fascinating is I love that you're working at Urban Decay and you didn't even think in a million years you'd be in beauty. That's like the beautiful aspect of life. You never know what will come, but you move back home. And I know your mother was actually going through some health stuff that really triggered you both really looking at makeup. So can you kind of walk our audience through what really like opened up that early, early idea for Ilya and what your mom was really experiencing at the time? Yeah. So I think, you know, when I came home, there was two things, you know, my skin was still horrible. Um, And I say horrible because I just suffered from cystic acne from age 13 to 35. It's a long time. And it was constantly up and down. Actually, I think, I don't know if I heard you say this, but somebody, was it you who said you were on the birth control pill and then you went off and you had the same type of thing and it happened. Yeah. And it happens to a lot of people and it took like six months to leave the system. And then I had all this happening. Um, I would want it to make it better. It's like, it's such a cycle. And for those of you out there listening to it, um, if it works for you, wonderful. But if it doesn't know that you will get over it, it did take me like 18 months to clear that pill from my body. So yes, it takes time to go off. But I came home, I was going through that. And she actually uh, was having all these different types of symptoms. And when they did more testing, they found out that she had too much lead in her system. And so she was doing collation therapy with an IV and had to be more conscious about how much fish she ate, what type of you know makeup she was using that could could contain more lead and that was what kind of started bringing up awareness so for her she was looking at the metals aspect for myself i was looking at more of what's aggravating my skin when we really started looking at things together you know when she looked at my skincare products and makeup she's like i think you really need to you know clean this out and start over and that was when i started exploring and did you have you know i guess during all this time from my understanding you also were dabbling in different businesses because did you always have that entrepreneurial spirit like clearly there's a problem with your own acne your mom kind of has her own issues with with makeup I guess I'm just so inspired by you about how curious you are of kind of going down different industries and starting things but before this you going down the route of makeup you also kind of like spearheaded maybe some different side hustles tell me more about that because I think we always talk about the successes but it's like you had so many other ideas that might have not quote-unquote worked out for you yeah I think I shared one on Instagram because when we moved Well, when we moved, there was a lot of things that were still left up here. And my mom, when we bought a house in Vancouver, all of a sudden she would just drop by with a bunch of boxes of my yearbooks from high school. Or I don't know, there's some, like I had like a karate certificate from grade three or something that I thought, mom, you don't need to bring this by. She's like, no, it's all your stuff. I'm, you know, you have your own home up here now. I'm getting rid of it. And, and in that was a bunch of silk scarves that I'd made, I think it was like back in 2007 or six, I'd spent a lot of time in Bali. Um, I did do like crazy meditation and yoga retreats over there in my twenties. Um, and they are amazing at different crafts, including silk and the way that they maybe will dye silk. And what they do is they will put a wax border. There's one style where they'll put a wax border of a design of some sort, and then they put the the pigment on it and it bleeds to the edge and it leaves a very soft gradient. So I had this vision of all these colors that I wanted to work with for these really beautiful scarves. Um, you know, Faliero Sarti is an amazing Italian scarf brand. They did so well. I thought, oh, maybe I could do something that's more colorful and silk based. And I think in my mind I had a vision, but in the way that it actually executed, it was not exactly that. So it was, yeah, I explored it and I felt like I wasn't getting there 
and it's not what I wanted. So I let it go. So that was one idea. And another one was wool felt coats. And I did a little research on that and that I did a design and it was super bad for the environment, the where the wool was coming from and the way it was being processed. And I'm like, okay. And I think, you know what it was? I feel like there's I'm like, it's, I don't know, maybe it's an inventor's mentality. I, I would see something and think, oh, that would be so cool if they made it cooler and maybe did different colors. And for the wool coat, I was like, there could be a mom and a kid's version. It's double faced. I live in a rainy environment. This is kind of repellent to the rain. It's super resilient. Started researching like what people wore in Scotland, you know, and like there's, I get really obsessed, I think, with all those aspects. And yeah, I mean, I could have had a business in wool coats and the <laughs> <laughs> but I decided to, you know, that once I made it so far down, I was like, again, in my gut, this doesn't feel right. I don't think it's the right fit. Move on. Mm, gosh, I love how aligned you are with your gut. And that muscle of looking at potential ideas and opportunities is something you've been exercising like very early in your life. So when the opportunity came for you to maybe create cleaner makeup, and I know at the time it was just, you know, a lip line early on, you've kind of like worked on those muscles. So I always love to share like start working on that on the side. If you ever want to start a business, it could be a side thing. It could be you just playing around, but exercising that mindset of like, what is possible? What could I do? I think is really incredible as an entrepreneur. So you're going back to your acne and then your mom going through her own health stuff with increased lead. What were the next steps for you to really go all into kind of doing your makeup? Were you like, oh, there's something interesting here. I'm like curious about those early days of you getting it off the ground. Yeah, I think um, I was using a like a, a lip tint chapstick from Europe. It was the Lobello brand, which I think was acquired by Nivea in the US, or I think something collapsed there. But I always had a really pretty stain on my lips. And it was the cherry flavor, actually. And people always say, oh, your lips just, they look moisturized and pillowy and soft and kind of just like a kiss of color. And it was great. And when I tried to look for a more natural alternative at the time, and this is when I was like, okay, let's start, you know, going product by product. And that was one I thought, okay, I'd like to see if I can find something else. I had a hard time sourcing it. Um, and I even like if I went to the health food stores, I found the products really didn't work. And that would, if it was lip, cheek, complexion, most of them I find did not perform very well. If I went to the, you know, prestige beauty stores, um, I just didn't, didn't resonate to me. A lot of the brands didn't resonate, I think with me aesthetically or personally. Um, and a lot of the products would aggravate my skin further. So I think that to me, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, we've got natural food markets or natural stores at the time. That's what they were called really. And we've got prestige or, you know, luxury cosmetics. What's in the middle? And is there a Barney's co-op type makeup brand out there? I think that was like, and that's for those, you know, who are a little older on this podcast for Barney's, you know, New York that was around the co-op was always the cool floor that had up and coming designers. And it was more niche, I would say. Um, and I felt like in the beauty space, that was really lacking in perfumes, maybe a little bit and stuff but in makeup. I felt like it was lacking. You also mentioned, you know, you didn't have any connections in beauty. You didn't even have know anybody to manufacture this, but what you credit a lot of, I guess, the early days of truly like creating that first product, um, you credit it to really sharing your idea with people. Tell me more about 
why you think that's important and how it was pivotal in your life and really like the doors that kind of opened from you just starting to talk about this idea that you had. So yeah, when the idea came about, I thought I actually, to me, again, researching. So I would go into the local beauty store downtown in Vancouver and say, I'm thinking about doing a lip tint and, or I want to do this, this line. And a lot of people would say, start with one thing, start with one thing. And actually, I think that's very true in relation to a lot of brands out there or product items, you know, don't go wide, go narrow. So choose one item. I had six shades. Um, I didn't even know I was going to have six at the time, but I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on one thing. And the easiest thing for me to kind of put my mind towards was a lip tint. Complexion is a whole other deal. But a lip tint, it felt easy. There's waxes, butters, oils, there's a tint. Can we get it a certain percentage organic? Can we do a better type of packaging? Uh, Can it still feel somewhat luxurious? And so I kind of started brainstorming and mapping all these pathways. And then I went to trade shows. um, And I think I felt I was at a time in my life where I felt open. And, And I think when you feel open and you really believe in an idea, you attract people who will help you along the way. You know, there is the law of attraction and people may think about that in relation to relationships. I don't think it's only in relation to intimate relationships, you know, with partners per se. I think it also is very much in relation to your life or your work, anything really. And that was the the vibe I guess I was putting out. And through that, I found the right people. I think I was also very focused and determined to find what I wanted Um, And I wouldn't take no for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, it's true. I love how you're mentioning just being open. I mean, even in my own journey, when I had the idea, it kind of like everything happened faster than I expected. I found our advisor. I found a co-founder. My sister-in-law was like, let's start this business. I never in a million years would have thought we would start it together, but everything kind of came much faster. So I love how you said just being open. And it seems like you were relentless to make it happen. Like those two qualities are going to be attracting the right people around you and it's going to get off the board. But During all of this that you're doing, you were still working at a job full time. And I want to talk about how you were really self-funding the business starting out. What did your financial situation look like? It was weak. It was definitely, (laughs) it was very weak, Yasmin. Um, I initially, so I did work. There's a aromatherapy company up here. They have a few locations in the US now called Sage. And I came in to help them do a rebrand. And I was very open with the owner telling her, I'm going to be working on something on the side. So that where there was, you know, there was nothing hidden on what I was doing. Um, And what they were doing was quite different than what I was doing. But I did learn a lot there at the same time. And I think so there was some income coming in from that. I lived in a studio suite next to my parents. So there was my parents' house, a garage and a little studio suite that was built for my Nana. Uh, she came over in the 90s when the war was starting over in Yugoslavia. So that had her very fierce energy in it and, uh, you know, a little kitchenette and a little desk and all of the ideas were really conceived there. And then when it actually, once when, when a lot of the ideas were flushed out and the conceptual part was done, you know, I went to my dad and I said, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but I really believe that there's a big hole in this market. And I know that people want something like this. I just, I have a feeling that something like this they'll want. And not only that, I have a feeling that it's going to become big later. It was like, not even just me, but like that there was a shift that was going to happen in the industry. Um, And it was a gut 
intuition. I have different feelings about what's going to happen today in the future in other industries, but in, in the beauty industry specifically, there was an intuition or a feeling on something that, that was going to have to be shifted or changed. And I said, you know, can you help me? And he said, yes, I can. And he co-signed a $25,000 line of credit to get me going. So that to me was tons of cash <laughs> at the time. I mean, to many people starting today, it's probably not enough. But back in 2009, which was a long time ago, it was an immense amount of money uh, to work with. So that is what got the R&D going, the formula, the packaging. I purchased 10,000 lipstick cases. I think I filled all of them and, and I was in a panic because I was only supposed to fill half. And uh, it, that's what got me off the ground. And then I had a credit card as well. A lot of credit card debt but that's how it started. I love how supportive your dad was. I mean, before you even had like sales or anything, he was behind you on the mission. And, you know, I will say that's pretty amazing to start your business with 25,000. I know some people might be thinking, some people are like, that's nothing. Some people might think that's a lot, but I appreciate just how scrappy you were to get, you know, R&D for makeup is not cheap. Getting your first inventory, like it is possible to get all these things done. I don't know about, I'm not in the beauty space now, but I love that you just kind of like put the idea out there. You didn't put millions of dollars behind something before you even knew if it was going to work out. You just kind of started, created something and you know, you were hustling, getting it into just local boutique stores too, right? And tell me more about how you're funding your cash flow because someone might think, okay, like, how are you selling stuff? You've used all your cash for that first batch of inventory, but tell me more about how you were cash flowing and really like hustling to get those first batches out there. Definitely. I think, again, like, all the travels that I'd done previously definitely helped me. I think when people, again, are, okay, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get this job, I'm going to have this career path. I think that you can be very well educated and very smart in that way. But there's a different type of intelligence that you learn out of school, you know, and that is like, it's a, it's a it's EQ. So the EQ for me was really important. I think I grew up in a family while well, my dad had come from the war. Uh, my mom was very outgoing. Uh, and there was a lot of street smarts that had to happen when we were traveling that I just learned from my dad from kind of what he had gone through and definitely not somebody that came from hardship in any sense, but how you talk to somebody, how you get them in, on board, how you convince somebody, you know, that this is the direction we're going to go. Uh, I actually think I was better at it then than I am today, <laughs> but it, it very much and, and very passionate about it. If you feel passionate about something and you find people who want to build something with you, then that's it, you know? And I, and I think that ultimately is really, um, to me, that's how a lot of things get started and a lot of things happen and how you can, like it is being more scrappy in a sense, but it's also being, it's getting people in alignment with you, perhaps asking for favors like, hey, can we do a payment? Can I do two split payments? For any accounts, and this is advice for anybody that's going into anything in relation to product, and if you're going to go into wholesale, no consignment. I know a lot of new brands, they'll go to a, a retailer and the retailer will say, we'll take it on consignment. This was definitely big over a decade ago as well. No way. I was like, you want the product, you got to ship. Bigger box stores, they're going to want to do you know, net 30, net 60. But I started with really small boutiques, smaller orders, people that could pay. And that was how it was built. And that advice was given to me from the founder of Lululemon. Uh, he, I think he was in some conversation with a friend when I was in Vancouver and we were talking and he just said, no consignment. And I, that stuck in my head. So you, you want the product, you pay. And 
that's how we move forward. So I could keep cash flow positive. And at what point were you like, okay, it's time for me to quit my job and do this full time? I know your husband had mentioned something. Is he an Olympian? Am I making that up? Wow. I, got, I feel like we got to do a part two. There's so many other questions I want to ask, but he had mentioned something that you can be great at one thing versus good at two things. And I think there's so many layers that go into that, right? Clearly you couldn't go all into Ilya starting out because you needed the cash flow with your job. You need to still figure things out. But at what point were you like, okay, I'm onto something and it might be better if I just go all in and focus on this one business that I have? Pretty quickly after, like I was transparent with the founders over at Sage on what I was doing and working on. So I think we launched in May 2011. I keep like, I feel like I'm, I don't know, do, do I forget my kids' birthdays? I'm forgetting these these dates for a long time ago. We, but that's when we launched. And I believe it was only a couple months after that, that I stopped. Um, living at home also was you know, it afforded me the luxury of not having to have overhead of, and rent was way less at that time. I mean, today is a totally different deal, but paying rent, paying all these different utilities and expenses. Um, so that was a big help. Being able to live at home really helped me be able to get ahead. And I was just super cautious and super careful in regards to the money I had because I didn't have very much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but I know in 2014, that was a pretty tough year for you. I mean, there's so many things that were happening to you personally. You got married, you got pregnant, and you unfortunately lost your father. I'm sure there was, you know, so many emotions going on at this time and also a lot of pressure for you to be the pillar, not only in your business, but also in your family. That's kind of your role at that point. But tell me more about what was going on at the time and really what helped you push through such a difficult time of just so many difficult and beautiful transitions. Yeah, I think... That was a, you know, when I said I was a kid in my 20s, I was definitely probably still a kid in my 30s. Um, I was, I think everybody grows up at a different time. Some people don't grow up. I can vouch for that at this age. I was, I was growing up and I think when you lose a parent, 33, 34, you have to grow up pretty fast. And um, there was a moment of, you know, I would rely on my dad for advice, just almost like still somebody under his wing in a way. And um, he was the person that I really, you know, felt that with. And I didn't feel that with anybody else, maybe else, maybe it was lefty in some ways. And so when he became quite ill very quickly and we like married, I got pregnant and we found out he had cancer and passed away three months later. This was all in like a three, four month period. So it's like all those big things that happen in your life, they were all kind of happening right at the same time. And I will say there was definitely some trauma that came from that, that I'm dealing with even today that I didn't deal with for the last decade. But ultimately what it did is it, I, you know, he had a conversation with me where he said, you are strong, you are smart, and I know that this idea will work. I need you to make it happen. I can't have your mom lose her home. You know, and I remember I was kind of like, F you. Like, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have my own family and I have to take care of that. And now you're kind of asking me to do all this other stuff. And yes, I'll take care of her. But I just felt like, whoa, you know, and that's a lot. And for whatever reason, I had that, that a moment feeling that way. And then I said, no, I'm doing this. And I just, again, I put on the blinders. And I did what I had to do, you know, for the next decade. And I think it it was maybe Ilya wouldn't be what it is today if I didn't kind of put on an armor 
which isn't healthy to do. I got to really say that out loud. It's not healthy to necessarily put on an armor and power through. I think you do it to, people do it to protect themselves. That was definitely my motive. But for whatever reason, it did absolutely help me, absolutely help propel me forward um, in the business. And what wasn't serious all of a sudden became much more serious. Wow. I mean, yeah, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to your dad. And I'm sure that just lit a fire under you. I can't even imagine that pressure. You know, I, I hear that from my, my dad always says, take care of your mom, but he's still alive. And I already feel the pressure. So I can't even imagine being pregnant, losing your father, him saying that to you and you feeling like, gosh, I got to make this work to just support all of my entire family. I mean, God, that must've been so tough. But like you said, it really lit that fire under you and you put your blinders on and you move forward. And now you said, I don't know, you know, maybe what if it helped you get Ilya to where it is now, but you were just reminding our audience, like that might've not been the right way to have that armor. When did you realize that you had this armor? Like when did it kind of come away from you and you realize, wow, that past decade was so tough. Like what, what are the, some of the reflections you've had recently? Yeah. I, and, that, and I'm laughing and I'm chuckling because it's only a very recently, you know, like it is almost a decade later that I realized I had a very big armor on. I think there was, I don't know, to me, it's like a, it's a survival and there's basic survival of having a roof over your head and food on the table. But I think a survival and I have to make the business survive because we have people that are, you know, working there and I, we got to make sure we can pay them. I have to be able to, I have a kid, you know, I have a husband, I have a husband who's whose career was amazing. He won two gold medals and, and he had great sponsorships, but it, money was, you know, touch and go. There's very, in the Olympics, there's very few sports where you can consistently have a good stream of income coming in. So yeah, I know I think I didn't realize it actually, a lot of my friends would say to me, they'd say, you don't get affected by things emotionally or you're like, do you cry ever? And I, I, people would make comments or they would be complaining about something that I felt was really trivial. And I thought, how do you even have time to think about that? You know, I don't have time to think about that. I've got a baby business. I'm alone eight months here. My husband's traveling and I'm just trying to like, I don't know, have a shower in the morning and uh, make sure I can pay the bills. And so I think there was, you know, it's just go, 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 go. And then with the business, getting funding, having a second kid, like the whole upswing of it, you're like wrapped on this freight train, you know, that's going a couple hundred miles an hour. So I think you even more so, it's like more layers of armor had to come on top in order to cope. And then we did have a big transaction, I guess it would have been a year and a half ago. Uh, some people know, some people don't, but I sold the company to Clarence. They're lovely people. And I know everyone's asking lately, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, it's going great. <laughs> um, they're very lovely. I actually still, I maintained some ownership in the business and there was a massive relief that came off of me because I had most of my equity in the business. Now, the timing of all of that, that's a whole other podcast probably on how and when and what you need to do. But the size of the business, the amount of people we had was a lot of pressure. So there's the pressure of providing, there's the pressure of the size of the business. And then there was the pressure of a pandemic and what is going to happen in this world. So the timing of everything led to that moment. And then when that moment was happening, which was over a year period, that's when I realized there was a weight that was lifted, but there was also, my, I started getting actually sick. So I started getting sick, like I had a really horrible kidney infection and my body, there's a bunch of other things that happened. And I think sometimes, you know, even like if you think about in university, if you're doing exams, 
you don't get sick till after. Body, the body, there's that book, The Body Keeps the Score. I was I just going to say that, that. I need to read it. It came up in another interview. Very similar story to you, after you. But yeah, it's like once your body feels safe, which is, you know, maybe in your perspective, you sold it, you have a little bit of relief everything kind of comes out, you know, in what you're dealing with. But that is so interesting how often I actually hear the story. I literally was just having this conversation with someone a few days ago. Again, Mimi, who I mentioned earlier, you guys have very similar but different um, paths. And she had a very similar reaction when her business was scaling and doing well. And she was like, gosh, everything was great on paper, but she had depression. All these things came up because your body feels safe to kind of unwind that. But no, I so appreciate you sharing that. And I know there's so much that we can go into and I want to be mindful of our time, but I thought it would be helpful. What I found was interesting. We're circling back a little bit. So for I reached out to you, you know, and you actually said no. You don't, typically I've interviewed a lot of beauty brands on here. You don't really hear that too often, but tell me more about that decision and kind of how that relationship with Sephora ended up coming to play because that really helped take your business to an entirely different level. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we, there was a lot of learning that needed to happen. (laughs) There were a lot of mistakes that needed to happen along the way and they absolutely did. So when they first reached out, it was 2012 and the merchant who I'm still in touch with today, she's no longer with them. She's doing her own career change and I'm very proud of her because she was amazing there and I'm sure she'll do amazing things um, elsewhere. But she really was also kind of a trend hunter, so to speak, and would look and follow all of these niche brands that were building and budding around that time, you know, and after 2010, after the recession, there was a bunch of brands that started coming out. And I think it was 2012 that she reached out and started having a conversation. And I did say, I'm so flattered. Thank you so much. I'd love to stay in touch with you, but I can't afford to work with you. And it was really that direct and that clear because not only could I not afford it, So that was one thing. You got to ask yourself, can you afford to do this if somebody like a big box store comes there? Because not only do you need to be able to afford it, you need to be ready for it. Couldn't afford it, wasn't ready for it. The pipeline wasn't there in product. I don't think the product was actually strong enough at the time. Um, And I didn't think the timing was right. The customer wasn't there yet. So it was a trifecta of three things that made me with confidence say no, but I know we're going to keep talking and please give me some time. And truly between the time that that conversation happened and 2017, when we tested one SKU with them, I'd gone through nine lives with the company. I almost shut the whole thing down. Really? I I don't know about that. Yeah. That was 2016 when I had an 18 month old kid. Um, Yeah. I was, I had a moment, my husband was away like eight months a year and I was literally alone with kind of no family. Uh, in back in Laguna Beach, trying to start this business up again, or get it beyond a place that had been for a few years and the amount of stress of not being able to afford things. There's just, there was a bunch, there was a bunch of things where I was like, I am so unwell, I got to throw in the towel. And then I decided to make different decisions. I actually brought in a CEO who's still with me today. I've mentioned that on other podcasts. It changed my life. My name's Linda Berkowitz. Shout out to her. She knows me better than anybody. I know her really well too, even though she's quite private. <laughs> and it, 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 that, that partnership is really what helped everything because she had such a great relationship with Sephora. She was honest with me. I had somebody else with a major beauty background in the industry give perspective. I discontinued most of the line and started over. I think around 2016, 2015, I was already starting everything over. It was not as natural and organic. So I took that risk. And then that is when I felt like, okay, the products, I've been learning this for several years. I feel like we're getting to a good place. 
and now I'm ready. Let's go back. Let's do this. Gosh. Oh my gosh. I did not know that you were, it's always helpful for me to hear this journey because I have a lot of friends who are founders and I hear the day to day and it's tough, right? Like, like you said, you had your second daughter, you, the business was doing well, but you're like, this is not what's going to take me to the next level. You knew there needed to be time there, but you're just dealing with a lot. You're dealing with your business, your two kids at the time. I know your husband was traveling and in the moment, you might think it's the end of the world, but I think it's just a good reminder that, you know, your business can last a very long time. And this is just a micro moment. And just the fact that you ended up pushing yourself to find this partner, the CEO that you ultimately ended up bringing your business. It's like, no one knows that you were going through all that because all they see right now is clearly the success of Ilya. But I think it's important to talk about these things because there's times where you might need a pause, you might need a pivot. And I love just how thoughtful you were about setting up the business and bringing in the right partners because sometimes I think we all think we need to do everything ourselves. And that's some that's a mentality that I'm, I'm still working through. But yeah, I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> Don't do that. I think that's actually like the biggest piece of advice. Like there's so many women out there today. And I have a new friend up here who is even going through it where she's taking a few months off because, and she has a very high powered position up here with the company. And um, so much pressure, so much anxiety, so much happening all the time. And no, you do not have to do everything. You know what? You need to know again, like that goes back to the question, what do you want? What do you want? What do you enjoy? What makes your heart feel light and happy? That's where you need to be. There's actually like in any job, there's stuff you're not going to want to do, but you have to do. And that will be, that's, still today for me. And in the in the beginning, yes, I was doing everything. But eventually, as a business is growing, you need to make decisions on who is going to take over the areas that you're not as good in. And it's not that you are bad, so to speak, because you can't do them. It just means that you are you you are best served in other areas, right? So I think like, in the beginning, it's hard because you maybe can't afford all of that per se. But once you you have to find ways to bring in people who are better than you, um, so that you can be best where you you need to be. Otherwise, you will most likely fail. You know, even going back to what you said early, early on about being open and energetically like being fulfilled and happy. If you're really not looking forward, I mean, business is tough regardless. But if you're literally going in every day, being like, God, this is so tough. I hate doing this, and you know, it's just, it's not keeping you inspired. And I think so much of business is just staying in the game and being in the game. And I know in the early days, it's tough. Listen, I was doing everything from fulfilling customer service. Like you got to do it in the beginning, but once you're able to, and it was, you know, I credit my husband for pushing me. He's like, you need help. Like once the business was kind of taking off and you have a little bit of money, I think for a self-funded brand, I probably hired my first hire very early because I had somebody, my husband reflecting upon me that this is so unhealthy. You're going to burn yourself to the ground. And it's helpful to hear, but I love that you mentioned, you know, hiring early when you can and, and giving some things off. Because I think as founders, sometimes we're control freaks. We're like, we can do it all. And we're all little delusional, which is what gets us the business out there. Um, but I think that's just really good advice for anyone listening. Well, I know, I mean, Sasha, we talked about so much today. I know I went over time. We barely got into the weeds. Maybe we'll have to do a part two another time, but I just so appreciate just how open and vulnerable you are about your own journey. And I'm just curious, like, how are you feeling today? You know, obviously you've, you're still involved with your business. You've sold a significant amount. What's keeping you excited? Like what's inspiring you right now in this life stage that you're in? Oh, wow. That is probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, I think like, it's like you have different, you know, 
periods of life. Yeah, even like we have a puppy now and the puppy's kind of in a toddler stage because it's four months old. And I think, oh, what's it going to be like a year from now? Like there's, I'm in my mid forties. I definitely, my thirties were jam packed. And I do think it is an amazing decade. You're still, I mean, people would say in your mid forties, you're still young, but in your, in your thirties, you can do so much. And that opportunity I fully seized and I'm really happy with the outcome. I'd say today, you know, being with my kids a little bit more, trying to value my own time, setting certain boundaries. All of those things are newer things that I've been doing in the last couple of years because I didn't have any before or I didn't give the time uh, that I needed to. And that again, we go back to that. I said that in so many podcasts, you cannot buy the time back. So how do I want to spend it? And I still really enjoy what I do. I'm really involved on the product side in the company. I've definitely been removed more from other areas where not removed, even just I don't need to be there. There's amazing people working in that. So being able to find my own place there, being able to figure out, you know, what is outside of the company and what it's like to live again. That's actually one of my goals. You know, like I just went to Greece and I'm like, wow, this is living, you know, and we're out in the ocean. And I mean, you can do it anywhere, but even just going for a walk outside and maybe going to the local coffee joint, I'm like, wow, this is living. (laughs) So finding those moments, appreciating them. And yeah, I'd like to do something else in my life. I'm not sure. I'd like to have the time to think about that, but that's not right now. So maybe ask me in a couple of years. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I'm sure it's going to be something amazing. But oh, Sasha, thank you for joining us. So inspired by you and everything you've built and just appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.